0: Good to see everybody this morning. We are in part five of a series of lessons in which we've been studying the angel of the Lord. And I'm especially excited for this morning's lesson. I've been excited for all of them. I think they're all very interesting and at least for me, touch on things that I hadn't previously noticed in my own personal study of these matters. Uh, But some of the things we're going to look at this morning, some of the connections that we're going to see, I think are just really especially amazing and, and interesting. We're going to begin in John 8 and verse 12, where Jesus is speaking Most of us are familiar with these words that he spoke. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So here in this fifth part of our study, as we examine the evidence, the fingerprints of this angel of the Lord to try and decipher His identity. We're going to notice this morning that this angel had a very significant role in guiding God's people, and specifically the Israelites. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter 13. That's the first passage that we're going to turn to and read as we begin to trace the evidence of this angel and his interaction with the Israelites from the time that they came out of Egypt all the way into, ultimately, the land of promise. In Exodus chapter 13, we read here, or at least the verses we're going to pick up with in verses 21 and 22, right at the end of the chapter, we're In the point of the story where the Israelites have finally been set free, quote-unquote, by Pharaoh, the final plague had been carried out with the Passover and the death of the firstborn for those who did not have the blood on the doorpost and the mantle. You recall all of those things. So finally, Pharaoh and his own son, of course, is... Victim to that plague finally says, Go, releases them. And so we are given some information about how the Israelites know where to go at the end of the chapter. Verse 21 it says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. So regardless of what time of day there was a supernatural sign in the heavens that they could look to and decipher as to which way they were to go. Verse 22 says, He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, you read that, and most of us remember that from the story and have read that several times. And you might be thinking, well, what's really the significance there to what we're studying here with this angel of the Lord? Well, let's come over to the very next chapter. We're going to notice verses 19 and 20 in chapter 14. Now, this is where the children of Israel make their way. They finally arrive at the Red Sea, and you remember the panic that ensues because now they're thinking, well, we're kind of trapped because, as you know, Pharaoh, uh, even though he did finally release them, he had that change of heart yet again, and he decides, nah, I'm going to go capture them and <laughs> bring them back. So he's in pursuit now with his army. So they're they're trapped. They have no place to go, and so they're starting to panic and and. Moses, of course, we know, performs the miracle of the parting of the sea. But before all that happens, I want us to notice something very interesting. Verses 19 and 20 here. It says, The angel of God, notice, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus, it was a cloud and darkness to the one, to the Egyptians. In other words, blocking their progress in pursuit of the Israelites until they could safely get across. But notice it still gave light by night to the other. Now, you remember what we read about how God led them? It was the pillar of cloud in the day, and then it was the pillar of fire at night. Now, the interesting thing about it is it tells us that the identity, or the one that produced the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, was none other than this same character that we've been studying. You notice that in verse 19. As the angel of God moved as this cloud to go behind them and protect them from their pursuers, so went the cloud, you see. And then, of course, miraculously, to the Egyptians, it appeared as, as darkness and cloud while giving light to the Israelites The the continuity of that promise we see was preserved. Now, that's something that when I was studying all of these things, I'd never noticed that before. I never paid any attention to the angel being involved in any of this. But there he is. Now, let's come over to chapter 23. Now chapter 20, you remember, is where Moses begins to deliver the law. He had gone up on the mountain and gotten the law from God himself, and he comes down and he's now delivering that. He begins, of course, with the Ten Commandments in that discourse, but then continues on and talks about several other things as well. And so Right at the conclusion of the things that he says, he again talks about this angel. So we're going to pick up in verse 20 there, chapter 23, verse 20. Behold, this is God speaking through Moses to the Israelites. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. So from the time they're initially let out of the captivity of the Egyptians, and even uh, once they make their way into the wilderness, on their way still yet to the promised land, we see that this angel is involved in leading them and guiding them where God wants them to go. Now, let's come over to Numbers chapter 20. Now, here in this context, we're reading about the Israelites as they're traversing through the wilderness, and they come to the land of Edom, and Moses here is sending word to the king of the Edomites, and he's requesting passage through their land. That might seem like a relatively insignificant thing for us to notice, but as he speaks to this king, he again affirms some of these things that we have noticed previously. So notice there in verse 14, it says, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. And then verse 16, he says, when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, and notice, sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. And now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. He continues to request, again, like I said, passage through the land. But notice again, as Moses is relaying, kind of in a very high-level way, the history of what has happened with the Israelites, uh, he sees fit to include the detail of the angel being an integral part of how they were led out of that captivity, And onward to the land of promise. Now the final passage I want to note on this particular point is in the book of Isaiah. And this is, of course, looking back on all of these things. Isaiah chapter 63. And we're going to notice verses 7 through 9. It says, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So He became their Savior. In all their affliction, He was afflicted. And notice it says, The angel of His presence saved them. In His love and in His pity, He redeemed them and bore them and carried them all the days of old. Now we know who the angel of the Lord is just because of all the other lessons that we've gone through in this series. But it becomes, again, as we notice this particular point, very, very apparent as we come over to the New Testament and we read some of the writings of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. Come with me over here to the 10th chapter, and we're going to see that Paul identifies who this angel was, this angel that had led the Israelites out of captivity and ultimately on to the land of promise, who had appeared to them as that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to read the first 12 verses together here. So Paul here, again looking back to the Israelites and their history, and in the context of what he's writing, he's of course, as we're going to see here, trying to warn those in Corinth not to repeat some of the same mistakes that the Israelites before them had had made in regards to their faithfulness to God. But he gives kind of this brief history, this, this reminder of God's people and what they had gone through. So he says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. Think about the waters that were produced for them on several occasions, miraculously, the manna that was sent to them from heaven. So he's reminding them of all the things that the Israelites went through as they were coming out of captivity and being led through the wilderness. Now notice what he says next there. Again in verse 4, he says, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And who was the rock? Who's this rock that he's talking about? He says the rock was Christ. Isn't that amazing? Now he goes on here and he starts to talk about some of the mistakes they made along the way. We know that they several times chose the wrong thing despite everything that God was doing for them and all the guidance they were being given. And so he gets into some of that here. In verse 5, he says, With most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Remember when they had the initial opportunity to go in and take the land of promise and the ten spies gave the bad report and convinced uh, the majority to uh, try and rebel against Moses and God's leadership, ultimately, They didn't go in and take the land. They were forced to wander for those 40 years. But he says, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Remember the events of the golden calf and all those things. Do not let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Then notice again, verse 9, the detail that he gives. Let us not tempt Christ. Now, we can understand that in the context of the New Testament, but notice here he's making application to the Israelites. He says, they tempted Christ. And we just saw that this... Angel that was following them, that was guiding them, is identified as Christ. So he says, Do not let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Do not complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, he says, All these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So not only do we see here the identification made as to this angel of God, this angel of the Lord that was integral in guiding the Israelites to their God-ordained destination, but we also learn something about the continued work of this person of the Godhead for us today. Christ continues to guide and lead, and we must follow, right? Not commit some of the same errors that the Israelites did, but pay attention to the instruction we're given, not rebel, not go after our own selfish things or desires, but to stay faithful. Christ guides us as God's people Yet today. And that's just an amazing picture when you look at it all together. Again, as we've done throughout this whole series, we see Christ not just isolated to the books of the new covenant, but we see him throughout this tapestry that is woven over the course of the ages, this magnificent plan of God that includes the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit and their work to bring about the salvation of mankind. Let's jump back to John 16 for a moment. We say, well, how does Christ guide us today? We don't look up and see a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire up in the in the atmosphere to show us, you know, which direction to go. It doesn't work that way, does it? We know, of course, that The primary means of guidance that Christ has given us today is the Word. And it's interesting, of course, as you study, especially in John's Gospel, how does John identify Christ? He says, he's the Word, right? And the Word provides guidance. And we can see... How this Word of God has come to be in our very hands this morning, that we can read it and study it together. Jesus talks here in John 16 about another who was integral in this plan that we'd m- mentioned a moment ago, and that being the Holy Spirit. Notice what Jesus says of the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 12 there of John 16. Jesus says, "I still have many things to say to you. He's speaking to his disciples. But you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine, notice that, and declare it to you. All things that the Father has, Are mine, therefore I have said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Now you read that verse or that passage in isolation, and you might wonder, well, how's that all gonna happen? How does that make any sense? Well, there's several things that we could look at. We could start in Acts chapter 2 and see how uh, that immediate promise of the Holy Spirit came to fruition. With the apostles there on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak and teach the gospel. And the very first recipients of that message obeyed it and were saved. But I want us to come again back here to 1 Corinthians, and this time in chapter 2. And notice some of the things that Paul says here. We'll start in verse 9 of that chapter 1 Corinthians 2 and picking up uh, in verse 9 Paul says there as it is written I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those Who love him. But God has revealed them to us. And how did he do that? How did Paul know what to write here and what we're, we're reading? Well, he says, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. You see that? So the helper that Jesus promised that would come and take of what was his and give it to the apostles so that they could ultimately write everything down so it could be preserved for all the ages to come and guide those that were willing and seeking the truth unto salvation in Christ. We see that this is exactly what happened. He goes on there, The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? We can't read each other's minds, in other words. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. He says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And then notice what he says. We have the mind of Christ. You see how that all connects? We have the mind of Christ because Christ gave of what was his to the spirit who then inspired uh, the early Christians to be able to record the truth and preserve the truth for all men. And so it is through the word of God that even today, The angel of the Lord, the Son of God, continues to guide us. Really, I should say he offers us guidance, because he doesn't take this preserved word and and shove it down our throats and say, no, you're going to follow me whether you want to or not. But he offers it. Here is the pillar of cloud. Here is the pillar of fire. If you want to know which way to go to get to the promised land, here's your guide. Follow me, right? And it's up to us to follow him. And so, of course, the question is, are we going to follow him or not? Now, as a concluding thought, I thought we would go to Matthew chapter 13 and refer back to what we had read there in Exodus chapter 14. You remember where it talks there about how the angel moved from in front of of the camp, of the Israelites, to go behind them. And the result was that unto the Egyptians there was darkness, right? There was confusion, we might say. But to the Israelites, there was light. Now, with those things in mind, I want us to read what Jesus says here. In Matthew 13, Jesus teaches the very first parable that we have record of. And his disciples ask him, Why are you teaching in parables? They're confused by his methods. And so Jesus begins to explain here. Verse 13 is where we'll pick up. He says, therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see and hear and understand and turn, so that I should heal them. But he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And I couldn't help but think of this passage as I was contemplating those events back in Exodus 14. It's the same general truth today. Depending on where you position yourself, you're either going to have light or you're going to be seeing darkness in a cloud. It's whether you want to understand the truth, whether you're genuinely seeking the truth, or whether you're determined to stay in opposition to God. And that's what's really symbolized by the two camps, right? The Egyptians, they didn't have any interest in God. They didn't have any interest in listening to the plain teaching that God was giving them through the, the plagues that he had enacted upon their nation. That was teaching. That was instruction, if you think about it. Trying to show them... Hey, all these gods you're worshiping, they're not gods. There's one God. And it's the God that these Israelites are following, and you should be turning from your idols and embracing that. But they they didn't want to learn the lesson. You see, just like the people who, when Jesus taught the parables, they they weren't seeing it. They weren't weren't comprehending it because they weren't truly interested in understanding it. They weren't truly interested in what God wanted for them and what He wants them to know. We can be the same way today. We can be camping with the Egyptians, but we can also choose to camp with God's people. And we can choose to seek that understanding. And if we're looking for it, just like those who Jesus describes as blessed in verse 16, if we're truly interested in the truth and understanding God's will, then we will see it. We will understand it. We will grasp it. And we will be able to apply it to our lives and allow it to lead us to salvation. And so which camp are you in as we conclude this morning? Are you seeking the truth? Are you seeking guidance so that you might make heaven your home? No, it is here. It is available. And the way is indeed Jesus Christ, as he says in John 14 and verse 6. There is anyone who would come to Christ this morning so that they might be led to eternal life, having obeyed his commands to repent and to be baptized into him. We would love to facilitate those things for you. If you are here and you uh, have something amiss in your life or you are dealing with something and you need prayers, we likewise would stand ready to assist you. And So, as our brother is about to lead us in this song of invitation, if there's anybody here who is in need in any way, we would invite you to make your way up to the front of the auditorium now while we sing together.